Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop and nail it. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing, it is a science place, it is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, uh, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to you. And uh, hell of a guest today. Get right to it, forget all the preamble. You don't waste time when you have talent like this on hand. Uh, Mr. James Williamson, one of my favorite guitarists of all times. Welcome to the show, James! Hey Conan, thanks for having me on. Uh, man, I gotta say it's 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 a real honor to speak to you, and uh, it's something that when I originally conceived of this show, I had a kind of a short list of folks that I'm like, man, I really like to to talk to them, and and you are one of the people. So this is a very big moment for me, and I appreciate you making the time to do it. Cool, happy to do it. Uh, I guess let's let's just, let's not waste any time here. Uh, you've got a hell of a new record with uh, the fellow from Radio Birdman, uh, and that's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, two to one. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's uh, really something we're we're very happy with. The um, you know we we started the started the whole process about a year ago now. Um, Cleopatra Records asked us if we'd do an electric version of something we had worked on an acoustic uh record okay right and um and so uh you know we got all the way up to the finish line i had mixed the record in february and uh the shutdown hit and so i hadn't been able to get it mastered right you know and so the, the i you know the guy that was doing that i like to master my records just wasn't available anymore and uh I didn't know when this record would be out, but fortunately, Cleopatra did have some guys that had operations out of their house, and so we were able to get it mastered, and they did a really good job for us. And then, um, then I thought, well, you know, when are we going to release this? And, um, right. <laughs> what do you do with it, it now? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. It, it, it turned out. It turned out we were lucky because um, most bands they like to release records when they're about to tour and nobody was touring. And so, uh, so our record sort of went to the head of the line because we weren't planning touring it, uh, just wanted to get it out there. And, uh, so, you know, luckily that, that put us so we could get it, get it out in September, which is when it's coming. So, yeah. And so that's interesting that you kind of, and thank you for giving the the story for it, because for people that don't, make records or, or that uh, maybe approach it from the scope of a fan, just how disruptive 
uh, obviously, it's a global pandemic. It's disruptive to everything. But the whole the whole music world, down to you know pressing the records, uh, as you mentioned, mastering services, things along those lines. It's just absolute chaos. Like a, like a, a hand grenade thrown into a room, practically. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty rough. Uh, the there the record plants are putting uh, you know are going to work but not on the same scale that they were. And so, so it's, they're kind of slowly coming, coming out, you know, onesies and twosies of, of, of projects. Well, and of course, because, you know, they have to make sure that they're being safe as well. You know, there's exactly. just because it's a, something that has to do with creativity doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be exempt from uh, social distancing and, uh, you know, maintaining all of the things that you have to do to make sure that that's done safely. I mean, word forbid, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, talk to me about the uh, about the origin of the record. Now, it, it's when I first heard the, the about this, I was like, "Wow, that's a good pairing. That's just a good pair of rock and roll dudes that, like, you know, either you know or you don't. But if you know, you're like, oh, hell yeah, that's awesome.' And it is a hell ass rock record. It's a it's it's a it's a rock record. And I feel like there's so many things now that you have to append something to the beginning to or the end. <laughs> <laughs> of of yeah. the of the rock uh, addendum, right? But uh, it's astounding to me that um, you know it sounds vital. It's, it sounds. I, I think fans of both of you guys' bands would will find something there uh, to listen to and appreciate. So, can you tell me? You said it started as acoustic. No, um, our our first record together. The first one you was, did to get those acoustic. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah it, of was, it was it was about four or five songs that I had written with Iggy that we recorded yep. acoustically called acoustic KO. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it, a Metallica it KO, right? <laughs> exactly. And that worked out pretty well. Um, and, uh, the, the, um, the VP of uh, acquisitions, Matt Green at Cleopatra, uh, I had been doing a, a number of tracks for those guys. Um, I had, you know, recorded for, uh, Mitch Ryder, uh, Devil with a Blue Dress, and uh, and, sure. and uh, Cherry, Cherry Curry did a version of Leader of the Pack and a whole bunch yeah. of different things. And so I had uh, I got to know him pretty well, and he and he said, you know, why don't you guys do an electric version of what you had done, uh, and and you know of originals and mm-hmm. so, new, so yeah, do do new songs like just kind of come at it from a new perspective, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, that was a good idea. I had become pretty good friends with Dennis by then. And, uh, you know, he lives in Hawaii, and I go to Hawaii a lot. So, Oh, really? Uh, what island? island? And what's his address now? <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, the, um, we chatted about it and decided, okay, well, we'll do it. That was about this time last year. And, uh, of course, we had to write a whole album's worth of material, and unfortunately, we were not under a lot of pressure, time pressure. So uh, it, it worked out perfectly, and uh, we felt very uh, comfortable with the material and, and that it worked. And we come from a very similar point of view. Um, right. You know, we're, we're both, um, you know, Dennis had lived a, a long time in Ann Arbor and, of course, had some exposure to Detroit. And I had lived a long time in Detroit and had some exposure to Ann Arbor. And um, although he's a little bit younger than me and um, the other Stooges, he knew Ronnie Ashton pretty well. And, and so 
So we come from a very similar place, and I think the the influence of our um, mu- of the music that influenced us came from that area. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so we have we have we're coming from the same point of view, which really helps when you're somebody and write songs with somebody because you know you just can't. You don't want to end up arguing with each other all the time. Well, you know, you have you have that uh, that similar language, right? You're coming from coming yeah. out from a similar place. You, you don't necessarily need to go beyond that shorthand. You can kind of get right to the good stuff, and, and that's exactly right. And I think that's something that uh, is, is somewhat in our value. I, I mean, like I said, the first time when I heard of it, I was like, "Oh, yeah, hell yeah, that's." That makes sense, uh, and because the first time I heard Radio Birdman, I was like, "Oh, cool! Those dudes like the Stooges. This is this is awesome." <laughs> In a good way, you know what I mean? Like, it's if you're a fan yeah, of that yeah. genre of music, it's like, "Oh, they're kind of adding something to it." It's like a down under flair, but this is definitely coming from that same world. Well, that's right. And Dennis, you know, Dennis lived in Ann Arbor uh, and knew Ronnie. He lived in kind of the neighborhood, and so he he was very heavily influenced there. And his dad, who was the professor in Ann Arbor at U of M went on sabbatical in Australia. Then Dennis went to Australia and he sort of brought that with him. Yeah. And, you know, almost like Johnny Appleseed style or, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so then when you're, when you're thinking about doing a rock record and to be clear, you have, you know, since getting back into it, uh, and and I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, your path back into um, playing with Iggy again, and sort of uh, the the life and the and the way back out of it, and coming back into the record making world. But I mean, are you thinking about when you're making when you're making the record? Like, are you trying to do something new with it? Like, are you are you thinking about like, oh, let me try to get that raw power sound again, or is it is it more just like, ah, it's water. This this is what I do. I'm plugging in the guitar and it's doing the thing. I think um, it's more like the latter. I I um, I you know I've I, I've produced a lot of albums at this point, and I produced this album, and and my my view of the whole thing was to you know not be too heavy handed, just just play. You know, and try to make the guitars sound good, and try to make you know all of the guitars sound good, and, and try not to not to overwhelm it with other production things. You know, and I I think we accomplished that absolutely. And so the thing, and I think you hit on an important point that it seems like rock records, uh, quite a few of them fall to victim towards overproduction, like getting away from uh-huh. the uh, you know people playing in the room. <laughs> thing and when when i you know when you listen to the reason why a record like rob power uh still kills to this day and you could play it for some teenager and they immediately get it is because it's you know it sounds of a, a vicious hell-ass rock band playing in a room and that's never going to change and that's always that's always going to sound the same whereas if you have you know production techniques i mean lord knows like in the 80s they had that gated snare and it's like oh my god what are you doing this is that shouldn't sound like that that doesn't even sound like a drum yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. You know, the uh, the band was really good, um, and they were all really into this project. And so everybody was having a good time, and we just knocked this thing out. You know, it was it was four or five days straight in and done in a, in a really good room in Sausalito, California. And uh, it you know we could walk away with just the fact that it sounded damn good. So everything else was gravy. 
yeah, so it's 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 almost like it doesn't need any adornment or uh, <laughs> bells, whistles, or go faster racing stripes because uh, because the, the songs are doing the work themselves by being good songs, right? And that's so. I I think it's interesting too. How do you pick the band? Like, how do you pick who you're going to be playing? I mean, you, you've got like for for a lot of us, we would consider both you and, and and Dennis like rock and roll royalty, right? So, how do you even start picking that? Well, I you know I've I've done this a long time, so I I have people that I've worked with that I like to continue to work with. Um, in the case of uh, the drummer, is Michael Urbano. Uh, I've made several records with him now, and uh, he's he's actually the best drummer for my money that I've ever worked with. You know, he just has he he's just got it, and um, he um, so I bring him to everything. The um, and that we didn't have many people in the band, so we just had bass, guitar, and drums, um, and, and vocals, of course, but. But so the other only other guy I needed was a bass player, mm-hmm. and that was a little more troublesome. Um, but I had to play. Um, <clears throat> I didn't have to, but I sat in on a, a festival uh, for Cheetah Chrome, who, who asked yeah. me to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so uh, he's a friend of mine, and I kind of owed him because he played on some things of mine. So so I did, and um, the band that he had put together for that particular show, uh, which was in Oakland, um, what Burger Boogaloo Festival, I yeah. think they call it. In, uh, the, uh, in, uh, uh, um, I'm completely blanking on it. I've thrown shows there and I can't think of the name of it right now, but yeah, yeah, we all, we all know it. It's in, uh, it's in Temescal. It's, uh, you know, right over at MacArthur. Bar. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the bass player was Michael Scanlon and, uh, actually, uh, Cheetah hadn't played with him much either, but uh, he was a good bass player. And so it was one of these things where I just said, you know, you want to you want to play on an album with me? You know? right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Of course. Sure. Yeah. And so, he, you know, he was totally into it. And he uh, <laughs> he practiced hard and, you know, could play the tracks. And you know, he did a great job for us. And no, no, you know, no weird attitude. Sometimes you never know what you're going to get you know, with bringing these people together. But uh, yes. everybody liked each other and had a good time. It, it can be like a powder keg. It can be a you know a nice soup. It doesn't. <laughs> you yeah. never quite know until you're doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. So the uh, and I, I want to keep keep a focus on on the new record. I, I, I want to talk more about that. But I also think it's it's really fascinating to me that. You you didn't play for like a long time. At least you didn't play in a band. Like what like post post Stooges originally, you had like a, a real human career, like like a real grown up human career. Yeah. And well, lot- that's right. Not, not only that, but I when you say I didn't play, I literally didn't play. That's I my right. son, my son, my son when he was in college actually wrote an essay entitled the coffins in the corner which was basically my guitar cases sitting in the corner <laughs> propped up against the wall um and yeah i mean that was uh that was it was um interesting thing to have to um you know pull all that stuff out and start playing it again uh luckily when when we were doing that we had quite a few months before we were going to have to play a first show so 
you know, you can do it. If you can play, ever play, you can play. Right. It's just, it it's just going to shake the cobwebs just a little bit. And, and uh, I, yeah. I know you did that, that, uh, what, that warm up show with, um, those fellas, uh, careless heart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to like see some of the video for it and was, it was pretty cool to see kind of like, you know, you're, you're playing, you're kind of like, you're kind of getting there and then like, how about second song in, like maybe like third song in it's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's on now. Like you can kind of (laughs) gradually see like the, the great ace of comfort. Uh, I was very fortunate uh, to have guys like that, that offered to, you know, help me play a, a real live show because I hadn't played one in so long. So, I mean, what is what is that situation like? I mean, does Iggy just give you a call? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's you know, it's a bum- bummer circumstances kind of leading to it. But uh, like, what does that call even sound like? Like, did they, they go through reception? Like, what? <laughs> like, how is he getting old of you? <laughs> well, I've got yeah, a Mister you know, Pop for you. I mean, like, what does that sound like? No, I mean, people people know how to get a hold of me. Like, we have the same publisher and, you know, they, they, they have my phone number. So yeah, you know, he called me up and, and uh, asked me if I, I'd play. And I, you know, at first I told him no, because, um, you know, first of all, I, I was working and also I really didn't know if I could do it, mm. but, mm. Uh, but I did tell him I'd think about it. And, and what happened was very, was serendipity totally. It was, then at that time it was 2008 ish and uh nine ish and the economy was tanking and and (laughs) and sony Sony was no exception to that and so they started doing these uh offering these um early retirement packages and um, yeah get them off the payroll (laughs) exactly well well, sure and and the the thing was they didn't actually want to get rid of me right but uh, the package was so attractive that I said to myself, you know what, why not, you know, why not, why not just take this and, and go see what, see about this guitar gig. Um, so, so I did. And, and, uh, I called him back and, and told him I was, uh, you know, going to be available to do it. And we had several months before we had to actually do the first gig. And so I, I had time to actually do it. And uh, we just started rehearsing and, and working. So um, the the thing that was crazy about it was that Sony didn't actually want me to leave to the extent that they hired me back as a consultant. Oh, really? So I really? Have, okay. Yeah. So now I have now I have two jobs, <laughs> and and so you know, it became actually it started to become kind of. Uh, hard because i you know sony i have to travel a lot as well and then the stooges i'm traveling a lot and uh, so we had to juggle a lot of dates and so forth but it was a really interesting time and i the main thing was i was so happy that the first show came off well in in brazil sao paulo brazil and then and it was for a lot of people yeah i mean that's that's like that's a little more than uh, what was the Cactus Club or uh, uh, no? Uh, what was it? Where was the the warm up show? Um, the, oh, just a little little place in San Jose. I forget the name of it right now. Yeah, but, like the Edge uh, or something. Uh, I can't. I don't even think it's open anymore either. But yeah. anyway, the Blank Club. Uh, that, I think it was the Blank Club, if I remember right. But yes, Blank Club. Yeah. Wow, good memory. And like all the Southway people are like probably pumping fists, and no one else cares. But you know, hey, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but. Gradation of scale. This is a huge show. This is this is this is 
you know, the the masses, like waiting to see like Iggy and the Stooges, you know, like th- that's yeah. nuts, man. Like that's, I mean, does, do you, I mean, even you had the run up, so you know, you could do it, you know, you could play, you know, you could, you could, you know, play the riffs, but I mean, what, what are, what's going through your head while, while that's happening? Well, you know, it was strange because like I had said before, the, the, uh, I, we had never played in back in the day, anything like this. We, you know, we played, <laughs> we played little, you know, little places and stuff. And, and, uh, and so, you know, we're looking at, at you know, 40,000 people in the audience and uh, it got so there was many, a lot more than that yeah. in shows. But the thing about the Stooges is, you know, the fur is flying. And yeah. so you are not, you are not, there's no ability to sort of, you know, take in the audience and be yeah. thinking about anything other than what you're doing because it's going fast. It's head down and, so, and like, let's, you know, it, it, yeah, it's like you got to con- concentrate. <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it never, it never, it, no matter how many shows I did, and we did a lot of shows. In fact, we did, you know, more shows than I had ever done in my career, probably in the first year. Yeah. And it just kept expanding like that. Um, none of those shows could you ever relax and just sort of, you know, because those, those kind of songs. <laughs> Play the part. Those, yeah, it's not, that's not happening. That's not in the script. <laughs> uh-uh. those, those songs take serious concentration to play them. And so... Yeah, and, and, and it just it occurs to me, you know, when you mentioned it, that of course, I, w- I wasn't there, but the audiences weren't always down with what you were doing, right? So it's like there there was oh, back, in, back in the day. So the change oh, up yeah. to being like people knowing every every riff, knowing every song, knowing every lyric, yeah. and having that pressure. I mean, it's, no way. It's the dream, and in, in some cases, but it also can be the nightmare. Well, <laughs> here's, here's the pro- here's the problem with us back in the day was we were so unprofessional that we felt like that we should continuously write new material. And then we wouldn't play the stuff off the album. Mm. We played new material. So you, you couldn't possibly know the song or the lyrics. And so we just, this is the way we were. Was, and um, Was that in terms of just wanting to just do it for yourselves? Or did, was there a commodus operandi behind that? No, just just how we were. We wanted to just do it for ourselves. Yeah, we we were, we were not professional entertainers. <laughs> we were guys, you know. We were guys that were just going to come play stuff for you. And uh, we, we, you know, we probably could have done a lot better in our careers back then had we, you know, maybe played a couple songs off the album. You know, things that people actually. <laughs> what a wild idea! Stuff. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thunk of that? Play some songs off the record? Yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> well, and yeah, because I, I, for me, and I had the advantage of working at a record store when I, when I was younger. Well, back when I guess everyone can just look up anything on the internet and in their phone in like three seconds. But back when it wasn't that easy, I remember being so shocked about finding Metallic KO and be like, what? There's another Stooges thing? Oh my God. You know, just flipping <laughs> out. Like I, I had no idea. And then being like, what's this song? You know, what's, what's it? What's, what's this? Like this is okay. Yeah. I've never heard this before. They record this. Did I just like, do I have a weird copy of the record or something? And you know, that's something that, gosh, you know, we're talking about like what, uh, that came out 76, 
somewhere around, around those that times. That's a long time for songs to sit. And yeah. when you went back to revisit those, like, what are you like listening to those the, like those old live recordings with you know people yelling and throwing things and whatever? Like, how are you getting getting back to? Because you're not doing. I assume there wasn't like demos being done necessarily all the time, right? Maybe no. Well. <laughs> Well, no, we we uh, those rec. What you're referring to, I think, is all the is all the bootlegs yeah. that came from that whole period after Raw Power, and we we would have done those songs, recorded them, except that CBS didn't pick our contract yeah. for a second album, and so so we um, that's what I did in in making Relict, which was to uh, go back and record all those. The, the ones that I liked anyway, record those <laughs> the bootlegs right. and uh, and then properly, and then bring in a whole bunch of other singers who were fans of the band um, that would come in and 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 sing them uh, each one a different singer. And that was uh, that that was a fun project. That and that was uh, about six years ago, and th- that's the <laughs> one that you yeah, got. Jello's on one of them. Uh, jo- uh, friend, yeah. friend of the show, former guest Joe Cardamone's on one. Uh, Lanigan, Mark Lanigan's on there. Bobby Gillespie. Yeah. Gillespie. It, it's, a, it's a real uh, kind of who's who of you know this, the children of the Stooges to a, to a certain way, but like in in a, in a way that's not predictable. Like it was very it's very interesting. It's very interesting to hear that. Now, also interesting is the fact that there there was somebody missing from that record, which was Iggy. Yeah. Well, uh, the 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 reason for that was that he um, we we had talked. He and I had talked about doing that record when we did the final Stooges record, Ready to Die. Right. We we said, you know, of course, the obvious easy thing to do would be to do all these songs we had already written uh, instead of writing new ones. And the thing was that all those songs required him to sing in a higher register. Then he had started sure. singing along. Yeah, yeah. And so he he wasn't really capable of singing these songs anymore. And you know, the the other thing we didn't do it was that when you bring in some older guys to redo their younger selves, then the obvious criticism is, hey, these guys are old now. Yeah. Why are they? Oh, doing it doesn't that? sound the same. Yeah, exactly. Well, of course, it doesn't sound the same. <laughs> So, so we had rejected that idea, but I still wanted to do those songs. And so I just brought in new singers and I think it works out great because it's kind of a tribute to the song, but with guys that are really into it. Yeah. And they're still, uh, they're still good songs, right? So, and you had, a, yeah. you had, um, a Greg, Greg Foreman from, uh, what Delta 72 and, and whatnot on keyboards. Like it was, a, it's a really good band. Uh, the and Steve, of course, Steve McKay was still alive at that time, too. So yeah. he's on there. And uh, the, so you think that Greg, Greg Foreman, Greg, Greg Foreman, sorry, yeah, yeah, uh, it's and it's a uh, what did I say? Whatever I said was wrong. Uh, and then, of course, the mighty Mike Watt, friend of the show, and, and just total badass. He was about half of it, yeah. And and that's something where when you got when you when you're picking like who to sing these songs, like is it more just like Hey, who who do I think is going to do a good job to serve the thing? Uh, like, hey, it'd be interesting to put this person with this tune. Like, where where no, what's the mindset I, behind it? 
I um I tried to put the best person I knew of uh, with a tune, and there were some uh, cases where I made a mistake, and a better person showed up, because mm. you know some there are some tracks that aren't on it. But um, yeah, like I there's one Gary Floyd. That. Gary Floyd's uh, from the the Dicks is on uh, Cock in My Pocket, I think, right? But that's yeah. a, I think it's a bonus track or something, right? What's not the one? Right, that's... right, right. And there are ones that actually the person wouldn't do a bonus track, so I didn't have them on. Oh, at really? All. Wow. Yeah. But um, the, no, no um, names mentioned, but okay. But but then, but then there are tracks like uh, Head on the Curve, where Jello, when he heard about it. He absolutely demanded to sing it, and so <laughs> I was like, "I was like, story checks out." Oh, okay, you know, I mean, I, I anybody who wants to do it that bad, you know, come on in, right, right. So yeah, and I think he did a great job. Well, he's a powerful singer. He definitely, yeah. he has his own his own voice and his his own yeah. style, and, and it's it's an iconic voice and style. It's not necessarily what you would expect uh you know if iggy was doing it right but that's kind of the point the point isn't to do it like how it was done back in the day it's to give some service to the song in a different way yeah that's right everybody behave in that that session i mean everybody cool they were wonderful i you know that really no uh no problems that i can think of um offhand uh you know everybody was really pretty much fans and so they were they were just coming, you know, bringing the best they had. Yeah, and that's got to be, that's got to be cool, and it's got to be interesting, you know, when you're approaching material that's that's like a different epoch of time almost, and yeah, and, and kind of bringing it out of the grave and into in light, and uh, trying to trying to give it service to have people so excited about it, and, and I would presume invested in its success and invested in bringing what they bring to it. That's, I mean, that's gotta be a nice thing. It's gotta be a nice vibe. Yeah, it was, it was good. We had, a, we had fun doing it. We had fun doing the live show too. Yeah. And, and, uh, oh, and just to backtrack real quick, cause I did mention Mike Watt. I, for, I forgot to mention like that's, that's, I mean, that's also something that's different too. Right. I mean, Mike Watt was not originally in the Stooges as, uh, alert fans will know. Uh, yeah, but is a great player, and the whole story of how he ended up uh, playing with uh, Ron and Scotty and, and Iggy is fantastic. We don't need to get into that. I've had him on the show to talk about it. But what was your, what was your first impression of Watt? Like when you when you did you know who he was before you started playing with him? No, I didn't. And, uh, and yeah, you know he's good. Uh, he uh, he's a personable guy, and uh, you know I I. Um, he knew the songs, and so I was okay with it, you know? So that's always a good yeah. thing when they know the songs. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So we uh, totally worked as a group and so forth, and uh, it, it all worked out. When you're talking about uh, coming back to playing, you said you had the, the, the coffins in the corner, right? But did you? does that include amps? Like, did you buy new gear for, for, for all of this? Like, what, was, what did that look like? And were you trying to see your old sound or trying to do something different? Like, what what was the what was your mindset behind just being a guitar well, player I, again? Really? First of all, first of all, I only play one way, really. So if you you know, I can try to play other ways, but I you know, my sound was something I developed while I was teaching myself, right. and so I don't know any other way to play. So I'm glad you like the way I do play, <laughs> but. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't have any. I didn't have anything. I had given my 
original guitar to Scott Thurston, who who used to play keyboards for us, and is one of my one of my best friends throughout life. Yeah. And um, and I, I didn't have I had, think I had an acoustic guitar, um, and that was it. And so I had to get everything again. And uh, <laughs> and so my my um, my amp of course of choice is a Vox AC30, a vintage one. Um, but it turned out that that um, you know Vox AC30 is really not a good amp to tour with, especially a vintage one. You know, in 2010. Yeah, because they're, they're prone to break down. They can have. They can have. Yeah. Uh, they, they need to be treated with care, and that isn't always yeah. something that happens on tour. Yeah. Exactly, and so. So fortunately for me, I mean, I had a lot of fortunate things happen to me in this in coming back. And one of those was this guy, um, Lauren Molinaire, um, who is the Black Star guy. Um, he contacted me through, um, I don't know, I think it was our photographer or whatever. And he, you know, we were, we were rehearsing um, at Swing House in Hollywood. And he said, you know, hey, just take a half an hour and I'm going to rent a room in there, come in there and listen. I want you to listen to these amps. And I'm like going, do I have to, you know, but, <laughs> right, 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 but, right. Yeah. It sounds like a pain in the but ass. I, <laughs> but I, but I said, okay, you know, so I go down there and play this amp and I'm like blown away. I mean, this thing sounds just like a box, except it's better because it's new. And um, these Blackstar AH30s are, are what I'm talking about. And not only that, is Blackstar will make sure that they show up at whatever show we're going to play at. So right. you know, I've right. got I've got amps, and they're they're reliable, and I've got extra ones, and you know, they'll do whatever. It's, key, it's so a key part of playing rock guitar is to have an amp. So that's a good thing that they you got to have the amp. So, <laughs> so I was I was all set for amps, and then I you know I spent a lot of time, uh, sort of you know, guitar world and a lot of a lot of different little tricks I you know put into the process and stuff. Probably too many, really, because the fact is, is the way I play is really simple, and I should just stay keep to the knitting. But you know, some things you like to do like I I've got all these trick things with special uh, piezo electric pickups where I can play a kind of pseudo acoustic guitar mm. on stage. They'll yeah, go yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, stuff like that. But um, anyway, I, I got all that stuff together and, and um, yeah, we, we played a lot of shows. Yeah. And so are you just going like straight into the amp? I mean, are you passing around like pedals or anything along those lines? Are you even like worrying about? No, that, well, the the only I mean, I never in back in the day I never played with any pedals, right. but I had um, I had a new job to to perform some of Ronnie's old songs too, of course, uh, which are part of part of the set, and yeah. so that that means for sure I got to put play a wah wah pedal. Right, so yeah, that had key part to what he did. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And and so then I, you know, I had to add certain things, um, but more or less it was even though I had a bunch of junk up there, I didn't actually use very much of it. So I, I pretty much I have a, a top boost pedal which I still use these days, which is 
just gives you a little bit of extra juice to play the solos and doesn't doesn't it's not real fuzzy or anything yeah. like that and um and yeah you know i had some stuff to control the amps and that was pretty much it and uh, you I mean, you've got some kind of sig- like signature sounds uh, especially like with raw power but a lot of it kind of seems like uh, it was as much you know the in-your-face recording as anything else. What did you think about the when Iggy went back and uh, remixed it? Like, what did did you did you even was that even on your radar at the time, or was it just like a, something that another life, another time? Um, no, I I I heard the mix, of course. Um, it's I a think, pretty rude mix. I mean, it's well, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that um, my I guess my view at the time and still is true is that. You know, Iggy um, Iggy's strong suit is not engineering. You know, he he's like you know he's like he's like one of those guys that goes you know faders up. You know, yeah. all of them, and and that's kind of what he did, and that's kind of what it sounds like. Um, so I I I'm personally, and I know not everyone agrees on this, but I'm personally my favorite is now Bowie mix because I think it's historically, historically the one. And, um, the, the Iggy mix is kind of all distorted and they did, they did pull it out a little bit in the mastering later on. Um, but it's not, it's not great in my opinion. Well, it's, I mean, it's like the loudest album in the world. Like it's like a constitutionally incapable of being played at a quiet level. Like it's just, you know, it's (laughs) like, I remember first time I heard, like, it was like, Oh, I get the ethos of, of of doing it this way, but it was so different. Like it was, I was really disarming at first, and and then again, you know, I I would say that it's cool because it it brings out songs that maybe the Bowie mix didn't. But it's, I mean, it, it's almost you know, it's 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 crazy that it's the same record uh, in in some ways. Yeah, and and I also um, I think that there's another plus about his mix and that is that the the record (laughs) well no no the 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 record the record had gone out of um catalog had had been over and so he he actually he got it reissued because of the new mix so uh, you have to give him credit for that um i um frankly i thought the guitar and vocals alone made my guitar sound great and of course that's yeah, kind of what Jeff- it's brutal guitar i mean in a good way like it, it's like immediately it's it's a kind of it's a kind of thing that when a kid hears it for the first time it's going to make them like go looking around for to buy a guitar you know <laughs> yeah, and like guys like jack white made an entire career around that sure you yeah, know yeah, yeah. So, so that you know it's it's pretty cool so you were, and in that record, you were, and you mentioned you name checked the, the AC thirty. Uh, was that just a, was that record just straight into the amp there too? Did you have any like pedals or anything you're using? I mean, it isn't like gear talk, but you know, people like this kind of stuff in the show, so I want to. Yeah, no, uh, it it well, we started out with Marshalls, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we because we had played live with Marshalls up until that time. But um, the engineer had suggested the AC30, right. and I um, he he got one in there. He got a, a old British AC30 
64 or something. And, and once I heard that sound with the Les Paul, it was the, that was over for me. I, I wanted to play that all the time. And yeah, there was no pedals or anything in the on raw power. And uh, yeah, the, I mean, I, I think I did do some, some solos were on Mark, but mostly it was AC30, everything. Well, and it's it's a good it's a good candidate for you don't need lots of uh, as we talked earlier about production wise you don't need lots of bells and whistles you don't need lots of adornment yeah. and <laughs> to make a good rock record it's you, you just don't uh, it was so okay so then talk to me about uh, and we'll get out of the the, the distant past too but you, I, I just want I want to make sure we cover this because you know, it's fascinating for me as well as the listeners. Ronnie's no no uh, slouch himself in the guitar department. Iconic guitarist with an uh, iconic style. Like, was it ever awkward yeah. when you when you first started in that? Like, I mean, great bass player too. Like, underrated bass player. Yeah. But I mean, was it was there friction? Was it just sort of like this is the way the train is going? Like, did it, was it ever weird? Well, um, it hadn't. It got weird later. But uh, um, and it probably always was weird. But here's the fact of the matter is, is that uh, when when Iggy and I went to London, and we had a CBS a CBS recording contract, we went to London to hire a new band. The Stooges was over. It was going to be something totally new. It was going to be totally, yeah, totally new. And so um, it wasn't until we got over there and tried some people out and realized that they were coming from somewhere entirely different from us and that it was not going to be working that well. Uh, at least I, I knew that. And so. Do you mean like vibe so wise, I'm, like it wasn't like it didn't have the same intensity or, or feel or they were just, you know, these, these are guys with, you know, long hair and frilly shirts and, you know, it was a whole different yeah, yeah. time yeah. and different place. And, uh, and they just weren't playing music like we were playing. And so I, I, Iggy and I happened to share a, a kind of a suite. And we were watching TV one night and I said, you know what? Uh, we know some guys that can play a rhythm section, you know, Ron and Scott. And Ronnie, that's how I met Ronnie as a, as a bass player, not as a guitar player. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah. He, he joined the band that I had formed originally called The Chosen Few. He was the bass, uh, eventually in one of the lineups, he was the bass player, and that's how I met him. And so, anyway, and he's a damn good bass player. And he yeah, had yeah, played underrated in, even. I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, he had played in a blues band called The Prime Mover. He was just a really good bass player. So, it was actually me that got him back in the band because he was not, he was out. Actually, so was Scotty, and both of them jumped at the chance to come back to the band, and they were all smiles. But you know, later this started wearing on him. You know, he he. You know, this is one of one of the things that you hear him. You know, he's talking to somebody else in the bar about how you know how this happened. Talking trash, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And and so you know that that's just the way it went. And I I always got the blame, even though I'm the guy that got him back in the band. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> well, because you know, I get... <laughs> the, well, the reason it had to be that way is 
that he wanted to be in the band with Iggy singing. And so that means he couldn't focus on Iggy, who was actually the problem for him. Right. Uh, it was me he had to focus on. So anyway, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's too bad. But the other thing is that Ronnie, you know, didn't ever understand that I don't leave a lot of space. There's not a lot of room, right? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's blunt force trauma almost like you're just, ghosting. yeah, it's, it filled <laughs> available air. Yeah. And so, um, so there's no room for a rhythm guitar player in the way that I play. And, you know, it just was, that's just the way we had to run it in those days. And, you know, that's, that's the way it was. And was it like what? What came first? Like when? When do you? When you come up with? I, I would assume that "Search and Destroy" like starts with the riff first, right? That seems like a riff-based song to me. One of the ultimate riff-based songs. Like how? How do those songs get going? Well, that particular one um, happened at uh, a rehearsal that we were having uh, out in the kind of Wembley area, um, kind of where near Wimbledon is played in, in England. And um, I was fooling around because it was Vietnam era, and I was fooling around making machine gun sounds with the guitar <laughs> in, in the room. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can hear it. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and so uh, I kind of, we, we all had fun with that, and I, I kind of dug the way it sounded. So I, I just, I took it home and you know, started working on, you know, kind of uh, some structure around that and the changes and so on. And that's how I, how I wrote this, the music for that. I mean, it's one of the most like enduring, I guess you would call it proto-punk, but like, you know, songs and guitar riffs of all time. It, did you, did it seem con that consequential to you at the time? Or is it just like, Oh, this is fun. You know, like what? <laughs> no, I, it, it was fun originally, but once I wrote it, I, I, I always loved that song. It was, you know, especially Iggy put some good lyrics to it yeah. and um, you know, just the thing always worked. And uh, so, yeah, that's one of that, that and Gimme Danger, I think are two of my yeah, favorite yeah. songs from that, from that record. Yeah, and that's another one that uh, you can hear, and and also with different versions and covers, like you, you, with "Gimme Danger," you can kind of get different things out of it. Like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more to that song than, than maybe the the undiscerning listener would would hear, depending on which version they were uh, they were looking at. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of "Gimme Danger," what can you speak about the documentary, the Jarmusch? documentary sure yeah was that was that a good yeah. experience did you think that it was was it weird was it representative do you feel um i think that um i'm happy that he did it the um it took forever for him to get the money to do it and i think that um that unfortunately for anybody trying to do a documentary of us they're they they've got they don't have much to work with <laughs> You know, most, right, yeah. you know, most, most bands, most bands, even back in the day, if they were consequential bands, people would do video. It would them, be some film. Know? Sure. Of course. Yeah. But all this was like super eight millimeter back then. And people didn't want to waste their money 
developing their super eight of the stooges you know because it, <laughs> yeah, like it's just a know, bunch of noise yeah <laughs> you know, it, it's not gonna it's get you true. any money yeah <laughs> so so there is no video of us and yeah. so so um he he had a hard job and i thought that he did as good as he could considering you know what he had to work with a lot of guys were dead already you know just a lot of things that he he had to come up with stuff to to represent that, you know, and so I, you know, Jim Jarmusch is a great director, so I'm filmmaker, you know, I just yeah, think I he's really, movies, so. really good. Yeah. I mean, was that, was that something where, you know, did your Sony friends, like, did they get it a little more? Like with that, or was it, you know, like what's not many people so, are in uh, documentaries is why I'm asking this. And I think it's kind of, it's, it's interesting since you have lived this double life almost. Well, no, oddly enough, um, you know, I never actually talked about the band when I was working at those companies. But um, oddly enough, when when we got to a certain point with the Internet and everything, they find you. Yeah, they Google and, you and they'll, they'll find out, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so all of a sudden, you know, people, by the time it all started becoming uh, open knowledge, they not only didn't mind it, they liked it, but they also yeah. were like, you know, not, not, you know, cause they got to know me personally. I, I was not a rock star. I was yeah. a guy. You're just the guy that they, they work with. And yeah, yeah. It's yeah. James. <laughs> exactly. Or Mr. Williamson, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how they're addressing <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not thinking about, uh, oh yeah, that's, that's a, uh, you should talk to him about Kill City, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're not thinking about that. Speaking of which, actually, let's talk about Kill City. That was uh, John Cale uh, recorded those. Those were meant to be demos, if I remember right. Is that is that a no, John Cale? Okay. I wish there was. I wish there was John Cale. We we had the, um, the idea was to like to to, to to make it something at a later point. It was a, de- a demo situation. Yeah, we were we were doing demos, and uh, fortunately for us. We were good friends with Ben Edmonds from Cream Magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, he had, because of his writing, he had lots of contacts, and he was good buddies with Jimmy Webb, the writer and performer, um, who had tons of money and had his own studio. So Ben arranged for us to uh, to use his studio, and his br- and Jimmy Webb's brother would be the engineer if we gave him a bag of weed every day. And so, <laughs> so that was, that was the deal. And so we went in there, we went in there and, you know, we didn't have a lot of, um, a lot of time, you know, so we, we had, to, we had to make it pretty quick. And, uh, Scott Thurston was on it with me and, um, we, we had a number that he came up with and a friend of his who played bass and, um, you know, I mean, sometimes the drummer seemed to know the songs is pretty well. The bass player, sometimes you didn't know if he actually knew. <laughs> You're a little bit but, of rolling the dice there, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then we had some, some friends, you know, like the sales brothers came in and did some backing vocals on it and so on. But, you know, the, the nice, the thing about it, Iggy was in really bad shape when we did Kill City. Yeah. But the thing about it was that he had this real sort of pain coming through his voice that came through on the record, you know, and that made that, I mean, to this day, that's what people I think really, I mean, they feel that record because it it's yeah. real. 
Yeah, it's it's not an affectation. It's it's about no. <laughs> it's about as as real as you can get. Uh, so, what what was your path like? What so you, uh, when do you end up kind of messing around with electronics? Like what when do you when do you kind of go behind the board? When do you kind of switch to what led you to this sort of second life? Like what what was there well, a defining that's... moment? Was there like a moment where you're like eh? Maybe not so much with this anymore, or was it just like a, a bunch of things? Uh, well, you know, I think Kill City was actually the first point where I was actually, um, you know, I had to produce the record yeah. to finish it, and I had to, you know, mix the record and a whole bunch of things. And of course, I, I actually did a pretty crappy mix, but all things considered, but at least it got the record out. Yeah, it, it got and, done, though, which is better than it not uh, getting done, it got, right? <laughs> it got done, and and so uh, so then I started, you know, more and more getting involved with electronics, and I, I also eventually got a job at a recording studio because the fact was is we weren't playing anywhere, and we had this bunch of demo tapes, and there was no income. And uh, that's a that's about when somewhere in there um, is when Iggy um, D- uh, David Bowie made the overture uh, for Iggy to go over to Europe with him, and Iggy was like, "That was the only gravy train he knew of." Yeah. And so he went over there, and it was good for him. Yeah. But um, meanwhile, I'm like going, "Okay, well now what, <laughs> what now? Yeah. <laughs> when I grow up." So, um, so I thought the studio thing could work for me. Turns out it, it, it didn't because although I learned a lot about the studio and I got interested in electronics, I found out very quickly that there is only one thing worse than being in a band with guys you don't like. And that is recording guys you don't like <laughs> a band you every day, you know, right, right. it's really horrible. And so I just wasn't cut out for it for that whole type of job. And uh, so anyway, I, I a friend uh, of mine described that as the, the quickest way to kill any interest you have in music whatsoever, which I think was very yeah, funny. yeah, it's true. Well, certain people can can remove themselves and just uh, concentrate on the technical. Uh, that remixed Kill City for me. Ed Cherney was one of those guys, and he. You know the greatest mixer I've ever heard. I mean, he just he just turned made that thing magical. Right. But um, anyway, that's that's some people can do it. I'm not one of them. And what what did happen was I was at an electronics store one day, and I saw this dad and this kid playing with this box, and mm-hmm. it was a really old, you know, early PC, and I was fascinated by that. And that's what really—that's what really kind of—it uh, it kind of moved me in the same way that rock and roll had at one time, and I got—I got very immersed in that, and ended up, you know, going, "Oh well, shit, I want to learn how to design one of these." And so I got, you know, from there I, I became an engineer, but um, which is know, the right time really, to do it too. I mean, that was that was, you know, that's they—they they make movies about that time, you know, and and. Oh yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was a really lucky thing for me. Um, I you know it was exactly the right time for the PC, and then guess what? I got moved to Silicon Valley, and I I got to watch the internet yeah. unfold. Yeah. I got to see all these people and meet these people, and 
you know, see all this stuff happen. I have front row seat to all of it. And I never regretted any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the corollary is, is so interesting because you are such a big part of, you know, rock and roll and like punk rock or whatever history. But then also you get to be a part as well, like just a yeah. few years later. And yeah, a very lucky person, really. Like, does the gravity of that hit you at the time? Like, did you know, like, oh, we're doing something interesting here? Or was it something that kind of just you had to look back at to realize the scope well, of scale? Well, I knew I knew because I was immersed in it. It was really interesting. But not everybody that you talk to is uh, steeped in this stuff. And then you're, like, talking serious nerd stuff. You know, and uh, <laughs> totally, yeah. you know, because you know, because it, it was brand new at that time, yeah. and so, um, it, it, it was a you know, mixed bag, but it was, it, I, I wouldn't uh, exchange it for anything, yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine, can't imagine you would, uh, <laughs> but then, but then when you're when you're looking at, um, like coming back into the, the rock and roll world, did it feel like, did you feel a fish out of water at all? Or, or did it kind of just feel like putting on an old glove or something? Like how, how coming back to music and playing music and, you know, well, playing these shows, I, making these records, like did, did, what, what did, what did you learn from this other world that you were in that you were able to apply? And how, how did it, how did it feel when you were changing worlds? Yeah, I I um I think I was a lot more grown up when I came back, uh, and so I had better um, control of my emotions, and um, I uh, you know I had been you know I had been many years where I had been you know interviewed and stuff in books and lots of different you know lots of different uh, people you know sort of gushing over what I had done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and Rock and Roll I, Hall of Fame, you know? Like, yeah, this is not... Well, I hadn't, I hadn't been in the Hall of Fame yet. Uh, this is, you know, when I was still working at Sony. Right, right, and, right, right. And so these guys are, you know, authors and stuff. And, you know, they, they know a lot about me, even though, uh, you know, I was surprised. And it turns out, by the time I actually did do this, um, I was, you know, I was kind of, I thought it was kind of fun, you know, to, to do something like that. So we had a good time doing it and, and, uh, worked out really well. Can you speak a little bit about the, uh, the pink hearts? I'm a big, uh, I'm a big Petra fan. And I think that was a really interesting, uh, project record band. I don't know how you want to characterize it, but, uh, interesting uh, chapter. We'll just say chapter of the James Williamson. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'm a big Petra fan too. And also Andrea Watts, and, yes. and uh, both of which were on, did background singer, uh, singing on this record too. Right. Uh, and, and so I, I, you know, and I've done many things with Petra because she's just so damn good. Yeah, she's she's a stunning badass. So why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. And and she, uh, you know, she's really not, um, you know, too full of herself. Really, yeah. you know, it's it's. Is she's got the talent that is just unequaled, and yet she, you know, she's pretty humble person. So, do you feel like when you're making music now, and whether it's you know recording new songs like a like like the new record, whether it's revisiting these old ones, how do you feel? What's your comfort level, I guess, with 
being part of rock and roll history. Like I'm thinking about things like if I remember, I think Johnny Marr like once was very effusively praiseful. You know, not kind of like a, a iconic guitar player on his own, right? And yeah. Yeah. And big James Williamson fan. And of course he is. And it makes sense if you stop and think about it. But when you're thinking about your place in history uh, versus putting new stuff out in the world, do you ever get in your head about any of that? Or is it something where you're just so focused on the art that you never even think about it? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to redo myself. You know, I, I uh, you know, I did what I did and and I'm happy that, that people appreciate it. And if they don't appreciate what I'm doing now, you know, screw them. You know? <laughs> basically, basically, you know, because I, I, I play music for myself. And I, I don't try to be something else for people. I just want to be myself. And it's worked out pretty well for me that way. And, and uh, you know, like just like, many things in my life uh, they don't necessarily get recognized at the time I do them and so like raw power you know it was really about 30 years after we did it yeah. that people started seeing it so you know it's it's I, I don't expect that kind of stuff I mean was it something where because raw power is like a, a music fans record like it's something that you know like like i mentioned kids get that record every year or you know whatever listen to in their phones and and they get their minds blown every year it's one of those types of records but were you were you hearing its influence at all in other music or was it something where you just kind of looked at it like eh, whatever we were just having yeah no eventually i did um that it took a while because it wasn't really until my uh, son brought home a Nirvana album mm. that I, you know, he was playing that for me, and I'm going, you know, he, he kind of took that from me, yeah, and and, <laughs> and, and, and like, and totally, like, yeah. like, my son is like going, yeah, sure, Dad, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. and and so, um, so, so, yeah, I, I started hearing it and. And then I, of course, after talking to a lot of journalists, I, I really sure, you know, yeah. it, it became a thing, right? But I mean, that that can also become a, that can be a double-edged short, right? That could be a prison. Because again, we're talking about, you know, when, when people are so tied up in like, you know, this time period of like, oh, this iconic stuff and like, like well, you're still making stuff. You're still moving forward and, and you have things yeah. to say and things to, to write. I mean, does it, does it ever feel... Is it ever counterintuitive, I guess, or is it something where you just kind of like take it as it is and, you know, it's, I guess it's nice if anyone listens to anything at all, right? But <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't know what your, I would like to know what your take is on that for legacy versus uh, creating new things. I, I'm all in, in the creating new things camp. I, the, the thing about it is, is that I see, and it frankly, he's in to some degree in this, in this whole thing where he's like, the old Iggy, you know, got getting older, yeah. um, and I'm I'm like, no, I I want to be just me, and and I want to do new things that is what I always wanted to do, and uh, you know, I like I say, I just do this stuff for myself, and if you like it, fine. If if you don't, that's fine too. <laughs> did you like when when he did that record with uh, Josh? at uh, Rancho de la Luna, the post-pop depression record. 
did you were you like oh you know when'd you give me a call <laughs> what's the zombie character got that uh that i or was it something where you guys are on your own trip and like you know you're just giving yourself the what's up sign as a uh, as, as you pass each other yeah no we're we're by, by that point we were all all finished you know sort of we had done everything we were going to do together and, and said everything we had to say to each other but then you know you talk to some you know doing something like something like Dennis like he's a powerhouse too and not not in a way of like being like an Iggy uh, descendant necessarily like he has his own voice and his own thing it's different but like another band that I, I think again record store nerds will know Radio Birdman they will know like how important that these music was and again mentioning the Johnny Appleseed thing but not a household name. Right, not someone that like everyone knows. So, doing this record and having it be under not just your name, but under both you guys' name, was that a a, a, a studied choice to sort of be like, this is this is uh, these two dudes. This is a pairing that makes sense. It sounds like this. If you don't know, you're gonna know. Or was it something where you're like, eh, band names suck, and it's terrible to think of one. Let's just do it under our names. Like, how how much thought went into that? Well, uh, you know, I. I, uh, this was a long debate. Um, and I think that, (laughs) and I I think that, you know, this is one place where we come from slightly different camps of points of view. Um, I'm, uh, very much a, a, a advocate of using title tracks as album names. However, um, Dennis doesn't uh, agree with that. And, we we ended up, you know, I think I think that the the name thing worked pretty well, and we ended up choosing a you know a title which was had nothing to do with any tracks on the album, so it you know it worked it worked and and that was actually what we did on on acoustic ko was we used our names and that worked there too so you know it's it's fine. Well, and acoustic ko is good too because it references you know the thing that. You know, if you know Metallica, it's like, oh, it's acoustic. Yeah. I know what that is. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But like two to one, it's sort of like, like, okay, well, this is, this is, to me, that implies, okay, this is a partnership. Like there's, there's a joining of, of things, right? right. Yeah, but, that's right. But I mean, you could, you know, and Lord help me, like I've, I've gone on, gone on record as saying, trying to pick a new band name in the year 2020 is like, you know, uh, just shoot yourself in the head and be done with it. Right. It's, it's, it's the worst thing. Yeah. Ever. I- you know, yeah, and these things are not really, you know, not my highest priority. So <laughs> I, you know, so there, you yeah, know, we yeah. find we finally settled on something that worked. How'd you pick the album cover? The uh, sort of uh, the racing car motif. Yeah, that was Cleopatra. They they did a great job. I thought yeah, it was cool. I mean, it, it's you know, it looks like the kind of music you might hear if you when you listen to the record. So it's that's fulfills that yeah. criteria. <laughs> uh, what what do you think like in the is this going to be like a like a thing you think you're going to do more of? I mean, you talked about not really having plans to tour it or anything along those lines. You're just making records for the right. hell of it. I mean, you got something to say, you got songs to write. And the reason why I ask is because when I've been talking to a lot of people, especially during pandemic times and during quarantine, obviously nobody's touring right now like it's if, if you right. had it on the table it's, it wasn't on it's not on the table anymore uh but, but what do you think i mean obviously you guys work pretty well together so like do you think you're gonna tr- try 
to do more of these? Like, is uh, you know, I just not. I'm too immersed in the record right now to <clears throat> worry about the future. But because uh, um, I just finished, uh, you know, doing the whole thing and in a lot of parts of that. So I'm just happy that I actually still <laughs> like it. Right? You know? Well, that's the key, right? Do you still like it at the end of it? Do you? Do you- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I actually do like this record. And, uh, you know, I it, certainly Dennis is a good friend of mine. And, yeah. and we Works work well. You well guys seem together. to work really well together. I mean, it, it's, it's yeah. a natural pairing. So, yeah. So, it, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I'm, I'm, it's too, too soon to really, I'd like to be able to tell you definitively, but I don't know. Well, and it's okay not to have an answer too. you know, it, it's also just, yeah. it's kind of nice that I was talking to, I don't even remember who I was talking to about it, but the idea that, you know, we're only just now getting to people from the proto-punk era, punk era, whatever, that are, are, are reaching the, the, this more age of, uh being seasoned veterans like that hasn't happened before so what does that mean well yeah. for some people it means we stop we stop playing we put, put away childish things okay but for some people it's like well it doesn't stop you from being creative it doesn't stop you from writing songs it doesn't stop you from doing something vital and the answer i think for a lot of that usually is tied up in the why do you are you doing it and so one thing that i always ask people uh, at the end of the episode, I want to thank you so much for your time, uh, James. I know you're, I want to be mindful of, of your schedule, but uh, it's been it's been great. And as I mentioned, I'm a huge fan. But I ask one question at the end of all these things, and it's just, why do you do what you do? Well, when I started out, I didn't have anything else to do. I, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I was not trained to do anything, really. I had never really had many jobs except for really menial jobs and so i had no skills other than how i could play guitar only thing was the way that i played almost nobody wanted me in a band because i you know fill up on space yeah who who could possibly want a guitar player like that and it it turned out that the only guy that wanted one was crazy too and that was iggy and so then you know it my style actually complemented his style very well. And so, um, you know, I, I developed that and I, I think I made a, a mark for myself right out of the gate and, oh, uh, un, unbeknownst to me, really, I just did what I did. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're, and, you're not thinking about legacy when you're, uh, when you're trying to no, tear it up. Right. <laughs> no. Although, although we, we did, we, we were, quite delusional i think we we actually thought that we were going to make hit records that we thought raw power was going to be a hit record and it was like what you know nobody wanted that record and uh, you know it did become a hit record actually but 30 years later yeah yeah it was too early almost like you, you, even, yeah. even like a search and destroy like i mean in the 90s that could have been like on if that came out then that could have been on the radio or on mtv or whatever yeah. right but yeah. it was just it was too early well, it, and it it was, but it was later than it was. Yeah. I mean, it's a good body of work, and it's a, it's a good record that uh, you've added to it with this. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, you took the time to do this with me, and I was uh, really glad to discuss it. What, what do you – is there anything that you'd like people to know about the record that we didn't, that we didn't cover? Anything that you'd like to hook them in with to go push the I don't think so, yeah. You know, I don't think so. I'm I'm happy to hear you like the record, and uh, 
I do too. And, and uh, I just want more people to hear it. And I think, uh, you know, they'll probably, uh, grab another uh, track off of it as uh, another single and um i think um i re- very proud of it really and so i i'm uh, i'm just waiting to hear more people you know react to it should people go anywhere specifically to get it i mean it's cleopatra so they're they're it's all over the place but you know are we trying to yeah. uh say like you know get it at amazon get it support your local well, record store yeah. like what's <laughs> amazon is is handling it so that's actually useful for people in other geographies depending on you know how you're getting it mailed to you and so forth so yeah that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty straightforward way to get it you know i, I realize i'm like i'm like i'm trying to to close it out be mindful of your time but how I do want to bring up the fact that the distribution avenues that we have now, how easy it is to get everything out to everybody. Like it, it, it just occurs to me that things could have gone very differently. And the, and Iggy and the Sujas could have found its audience a whole lot earlier if that had been around then. But of course, maybe it would have turned out very differently uh, if that was the case. I mean, what, what do you think in terms of the instant availability, but almost the devaluation of, of music as a commodity and more as a uh, like lifestyle attache i think that uh, you have to remember and i think you're even too young to remember that when we this album came out well for, we had many challenges first of all our management hated it. our rec our record company so you're, hated so you're starting off in a ditch just to, to start off yeah. all the people that are closest to us are our enemies and uh and really the uh the possibility and then and it and it and the people were actually afraid of us you know because we you know he would go out into the audience and nobody ever did that in those days so we we were actually at a very big disadvantage and the fact that anybody would come to our shows was you know kind of amazing as it was so we we really, from a, like I say, we were really not very professional. And from a from a <laughs> inter, entertainment industry perspective, we were not a good risk. And actually, we it wasn't until later that I think, uh, and I wasn't even in the business anymore uh, at that time, that Iggy became a little more professional. I think Bowie actually helped him. Yeah, Bowie rubbed more, off on him a little bit. I think it's a uh... little bit, yeah. <laughs> and so that that helped him. And, uh, you know, and when we had a reunion tour, of course, everybody was professional. And so, you know, it was a whole different deal. You know, the shows started on time and, and we, you know, we made it through the show. And, no one and, throwing uh, any we, beer bottles. It's a- <laughs> no, no. And we, we weren't sitting there tuning our instruments for, you know, half of the show, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, it, it, it's just the way it was. That's how it had to be in order to be so... Um, so new right well i mean thank you for doing it and thank you for all the music including the new record it's a it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you and i hope people check it out and we'll uh, we'll put a link for it in the show notes and all that good stuff and uh, yeah be uh stay safe out there man you too thanks man thanks for having me on all right brother okay see ya Alright, let's hear something from the record. This is Stable off of the new record. Uh, this is a new record, 2 to 1. 
James Williamson and Dennis. James Williamson and Dennis Tech, and this is, well, you know this one. Of course I'm going to play this. 
Oh, a little search and destroy for ya. I'm a Steve Walking Cheetah with a hat full of napalm. I'm a runaway son of a nuclear A-bomb. I'm a world's forgotten boy The one who searches and destroys Somebody gotta help me please In the dead of night Love in the middle of a fire song called Search and Destroy. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's, uh, it's pretty good. I think, uh, think these, guys, these guys might have a future. <laughs> these stooges. <laughs> That's, of course, the Bowie mix for the the alert listeners. That's um, that's some good rock and roll. That, that was Mr. James goddamn Williamson on this show. <laughs> barely believe it. Sheesh. Um... Let's play another tune off of this new record uh, with Dennis Tech. This is uh, Jetpack Nightmare, I believe is the name of this one. Yes, Jetpack Nightmare. Uh, goes a little something like this. Nightmare. <laughs> Jetpack Nightmare. 
Motherfuckers trying to run my world Motherfuckers trying to rule my world Motherfuckers Motherfuckers
Gimme Danger, the Ian Stooges. We're going to hear something off the Acoustic KO record with uh, the other one that we talked about with Dennis Tech and James Williamson. This is Penetration.
Okay, there's Penetration off of the Acoustic KO record. We got uh, one more here. This is going to be James Williamson and the Pink Hearts. This is the album with Petra Hayden. There's too many days at the station And too many sleepless nights too many conversations We never get it right There's too many obligations And way too many lies And I think I caught you chasing Another man with your eyes You got one too many eyes On too many situations Which face is it tonight? I'm in trance I'm in trance
Shade, James Williamson and the Pink Arts, with Petra Hayden. You know this one. Okay. 
And just faded out. Ziggy and the Stooges. Rob Hour performed by, I guess, Mr. James Williamson. Holy shit. James Williamson was on Progenic Reversal. That's awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, before that, we had James Williamson, James Williamson and the Pink Hearts behind the shade. Before that, uh, Penetration off of the Acoustic KO record, which is the other Dennis Tech and James Williamson record. And, of course, we heard some songs earlier. They're off the new record. Two to One is the name of it. You can get it at all the places you get records at. You get from Amazon, get from a record store. Click on on Spotify, whatever. Don't matter. No wrong way to listen. Or I think you've seen Get Through Amazon. All right, so Get Through Amazon, sure. All right. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. This is the 199th episode of this show. Yeah. Feeling all 199 right now. The show airs on Radio Note Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Archives, ProtonicReversal.com. Patreon.com slash ProtonicReversal. If you want to get the episode sooner, $1 a month will get you there. All ships at sea. Within the yeah, 199. <laughs> wow. I've got 50,000 watts of power. Some cool stuff coming up, including hopefully something cool for the 200th episode. I can't actually say anything about it yet. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be cool no matter what, though. That's that's the key takeaway. Uh, live listeners, Music On with Music Off coming up next. Please stay tuned. Always a good time with Brian. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Anything else? Stay safe out there. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. Thank you. 